The podcast world is growing bigger every day and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow the Killer Instincts podcast once you're there. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. My name is Savannah Brimer, and I am your host on Killer Instinct. I apologize if I sound really just off. I am sick, but that does not stop this week's episode because this week's episode, you guys, is crazy. And I know that I literally say that in the beginning of every episode, I'm well aware, but this case has been on my list to cover for a while now. And for the reason being that the end result and the conclusion of this case makes absolutely no sense. And you guys are going to be so beyond frustrated when I am talking you through this because you're going to think, why in the hell did this actually happen? I thought the same thing. And so we're going to walk through this case today and I'm really interested to see what you guys think of it. So today we are talking about the case of, she was Jessica Boynton, but I'm going to be referring to her as Jessica Lester because... I guarantee she does not want to be referred to or associated with this man anymore. So Jessica Lester and Matthew Boynton were high school sweethearts who lived in Griffin, Georgia. And Griffin is a town with about 23,000 people living in it. Jessica and Matthew started dating when Jessica was about 15 and Matthew was about 17. And by the time Jessica was 19 and Matthew was about 20, 21-ish, they had two boys named Tolan and Tyler. Jessica and Matthew were pretty new married. Jessica was a stay-at-home mom and Matthew worked as a Griffin County police officer. According to Matthew and Jessica's neighbors and the people that kind of knew them from the outside, which we see this a lot, from the outside, they looked like a very happy couple. You would see the family portraits of them and you would think that they were just a very happy, normal couple. But for the people who knew them personally, they say that watching them interact in person versus the display that they would put on for everyone else, it was a very different scenario. Now let's talk about Matthew for a second. So like I said, Matthew worked as a Griffin County police officer and he definitely loved his job. And Matthew's grandfather, Wendell Beam, had actually been appointed as the county sheriff for the police station, um, the Griffin County police station. So Matthew did have some family ties in the system. And because Matthew's job came with a lot of long hours and it required him to not be home as often, it definitely took a toll on Jessica and Matthew's marriage. It definitely got the best of them. And it was only six months into their marriage that the two of them started reevaluating if they were really right for each other. Um, Neighbors called their marriage broken, toxic, and damaged. So clearly there were some problems going on and both Jessica and Matthew wanted a divorce. So it wasn't just one wanted a divorce and the other didn't. Both of them really wanted a divorce, which initially you would think would make this process pretty smooth sailing as far as you don't have to convince anyone to like split up or anything like that. It was, they both wanted this and they both knew they wanted a divorce and they were both pretty at peace with the decision. 
at least in the beginning. Things got a little weird when Matthew started telling his officers, the people that he was working with, that Jessica had been physically abusive towards him. And at first he wasn't filing any official domestic violence reports or anything like that. Um, he just was like telling people this by word of mouth. And this was the beginning of an ugly back and forth between Jessica and Matthew. So Jessica had purchased a red composition notebook and she used it as her divorce diary is what it was referred to in all the research that I did. It was called her divorce diary. And in this diary, she wrote down everything Matthew did. She wrote down where he went, the times he left, the times he came back, what he said he was doing. She would date the page and write down literally everything that Matthew did. And she kept this diary in the closet, in the master bedroom closet to keep it hidden from Matthew so he wouldn't find it. Now, this was kind of her way of being able to track Matthew's every move. Now, the theory behind this divorce diary was that she, that Jessica was using this as kind of ammunition. She was building up ammunition for if it came down to a ugly custody battle for their two kids. Jessica really wanted to have all the details that she could, really wanted to be able to have a valid argument if this were to go into court and become an ugly custody battle. And like I said, it was clear that Matthew and Jessica were secretly trying to gather information to use it against each other um, if they went into a custody battle in court. So now let's talk about April 15th of 2016 at about 9 o'clock p.m. So at about 9 o'clock p.m., Matthew ends up calling the lieutenant on duty at the police station to report that Jessica had been hitting Matthew again. And this report of abuse was apparently after a disagreement that Matthew and Jessica had gone into um, Jessica was accusing Matthew of cheating on her and apparently was poking him in the chest when they were arguing. And that was why Matthew called because he, she poked him in the chest. Um, that was the domestic violence that he was talking about. So Jessica, after the two of them got into this argument, she went over to her neighbor's house. And in watching all of the like interviews that I have, this neighbor has done interviews, but she has asked to be remained anonymous and not show her face and things like that. So I don't really know what her name is, but I do know that she was Jessica's neighbor. The neighbor said that after Jessica and Matthew gotten into this argument, Jessica and the kids went over to the neighbor's apartment and Jessica was visibly upset about the fight that they had gotten into. And it wasn't too long after Jessica got to the neighbors that Matthew started to text Jessica again, asking if she wanted to go to Walmart to pick up baby formula. And this neighbor told Jessica that when she came back from Walmart to come to her apartment, which I find a little odd, but it was because the neighbor said that she just had this weird gut feeling that something was going to happen. And so she wanted Jessica to come back to her apartment instead of going back home with Matthew after going to Walmart. But Jessica never came back. And if you're wondering why the neighbor would be like, don't go back with your husband, like come over here. We're going to get into that later because there is a lot more information that's going to come out. So the Walmart surveillance video footage shows Matthew and Jessica and their kids walking walking into Walmart at about 10:15 p.m. on this night and their surveillance footage shows them in the baby section of Walmart and it's clear that the two of them are getting into some sort of disagreement again and Jessica leaves the store at about 10:45 p.m. and Matthew follows shortly after her and after Matthew follows her the four of them got into their black truck and drove away there's footage of that that happened it is very 
clear that that is what happened. The four of them got into the car and drove away. Now, according to Matthew, they got home from Walmart just after 11 o'clock p.m. And the proof of this is that there was an officer from the police station who showed up at Matthew and Jessica's home to take the domestic violence report that Matthew had called in earlier that day about Jessica poking him in the chest after that little argument that they had. And this report also included the argument that the two of them had gotten into while in Walmart. And Matthew had said that him and Jessica were talking about the formula that the baby was going to need when the two of them were separated. And according to Matthew, he said that Jessica um, walked out of Walmart. And when they walked out to the car, Jessica told him she wasn't going to get into the car with him and that she would find another ride home. And she went back into Walmart. And Matthew said that he left Walmart and went back to his house without Jessica because he could not get her to get in the car with him. Now, you are probably very confused because I just told you that the four of them got into their truck and drove home all together. But Matthew is now saying something completely different. And surveillance footage does not lie. If the four of them are seen getting into the car and driving back together, then the four of them got into the car and drove off together. And even though the footage shows that Jessica looks a little heated when walking out of Walmart, it's also very clear that Jessica is getting into Matthew's truck with her kids and all of them driving away together. It's just not true because it's on video that Jessica literally got into the car. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. So the police report also says that this kind of this report being made by Matthew wasn't reported on a police body cam because the battery was dead and that the police officer also did not talk to Jessica, which I think is so important, which it could be a coincidence that the battery is dead. But personally, I think it is a little ironic. So according to Matthew, around midnight that night, he ended up leaving his house to get food at the local Waffle House with another officer named Joshua Guthrie. And he said that before he left, Jessica was acting really strange and told him to call an ambulance. And Jessica was basically folded over, like almost like she was in pain and not telling Matthew what was wrong. And Matthew said he asked her if she was having trouble breathing, if she was having an anxiety attack, or if she was in pain at all. And he said that she then ran to their master bedroom closet in their apartment and shut the door in his face, which at that point he decided to just leave. So Matthew left the apartment after his wife shut herself into their master bedroom closet and told him to call an ambulance. He decided that the best thing to do in that situation was to leave. So he says that when he left, he drove over to the Waffle House and when he was pulling into the Waffle House parking lot, he got a text from Jessica. And according to Matthew, this text said, I can't do this anymore. Take care of Tolan and Tyler, please, and tell them I love them every day. I've been suffering for a while now and no one has noticed. Here lately, I have not been able to recognize the person I see in the mirror. This is not the first time I have had suicide thoughts. I love you and the boys. Matthew then says after he received this text message, he called the 911 dispatch immediately and told the woman on the other line that he needed a unit to go to his house because his wife was having suicidal thoughts. The only weapon that Matthew said was inside the house at this point was his service weapon. So the gun that he would use when he was on duty as a police officer. Matthew told the operator that he was on his way home and he was going to try to get there before anything bad happened. And once he got there, he said that the first thing he heard was Tyler, their youngest son, crying in his crib. And then he heard two gunshots. Now keep that in mind. Two, two. 
two gunshots. He said that once he heard the gunshot, he ran inside to the closet where he usually keeps his gun, but the door was locked and he wasn't able to get inside. After hearing the gunshots, he then grabbed his police radio, which was in the kitchen, and ran outside of the apartment, and then he made another call. And then once he grabbed his police radio and ran out of the apartment, he then made a call on his radio after running out of his apartment and said that he believes that he heard shots fired coming from his apartment while he was coming up the stairs. And he said that he smelt gun smoke and also that his two kids were left inside the apartment. So he's outside of the apartment. He left his two young sons inside of the apartment with his allegedly suicidal wife who he just heard gunshots coming from their master bedroom. Now, interestingly enough, we actually talked about this last week in the Madeline McCann case that I covered. And we talked about how Kate had gotten a lot of heat for leaving both of her twins inside of her hotel room after leap after realizing that Madeline was missing. And a lot of people said that Kate probably left her twins inside the room because she knew what happened to Madeline and she knew that there was no abductor and there was no someone who came in and took Madeline, that it was actually an act of their own, an act of Madeline's parents. So she didn't really have to worry. And I thought it was interesting, just kind of the same situation or the similarities in this situation, because, you know, Matthew hears these gunshots and the first thing that he does is run out of the apartment without his two kids. Like, it's very odd. And after making that call off of his police radio at about one o'clock in the morning, he never went back into the apartment to get his kids. He waited outside of the apartment and he said that he was too afraid to go back into the apartment because he didn't know who was dead and who was alive. Now, I don't have children right now. I don't know how that would be. I don't know the emotions that you feel when you're going through something like that. Um, I could only imagine though, if I was in a situation like that, my first instinct is to get my kids, but that was not the case here. And when the cops showed up to the apartment, they found Tyler awake in his crib crying and they also found the two-year-old Tolan asleep in his bed. And how he was able to sleep through this, I have no idea. But luckily, both kids were not harmed physically. And the cops went to the locked master closet, knocked on it several times, said, you know, it's the police, open the door, it's the police, open the door. And when they got no response is when they decided to kick the door down, which is exactly what they did. And when they did that, they found Jessica laying down with her head on a pillow. And I thought that how they found Jessica was very interesting because like I said, when the cops opened the door, they found Jessica's head laying perfectly on a very blood soaked pillow. But here's the twist. So when the police checked to see if there was a pulse on Jessica, they actually were able to realize that she was still alive. There was a pulse. She was still breathing. And when Jessica was moved out of the closet, they found Matthew's gun right underneath her. And Jessica was immediately taken to a trauma center at an Atlanta hospital. And the neighbor who was with Jessica before she went to Walmart came outside and asked the officers if it was Jessica who was injured and asked if she had died. And the officers told the neighbor that Jessica was still alive, but she was in critical condition. And I think that's very interesting because clearly this neighbor had some sort of insight that there was a lot of issues in this marriage, much more than what met the naked eye. So I think that it's very interesting, very telling that this neighbor clearly had, um, you know, a sense of what was actually going on in the house. So from the get-go, the Griffin Police Department treated this as a suicide attempt, which drove a lot of people to become very, very angry. The people who knew Jessica said that she was not suicidal whatsoever. And again, the neighbor who was with her several hours prior during the night said there was no way that Jessica would ever 
commit suicide. She loved her children and never had any suicidal thoughts or any signs of suicidal thoughts. So here's what the police believed happened. The police believed that Jessica entered the closet, locked the door behind her, turned her back facing the door, and held the gun to the top of her head. And when I say the top of her head, I literally mean the top of her head. I don't mean the side of her head where her temples are. I mean the absolute top of her skull. And police say that that's where she put the gun and that's where she pulled the trigger. Now, there were two gunshot holes found in the walls of the closet, but the one that really had people questioning was the second bullet hole in the wall for many reasons. The first one, how is it possible if you're shooting yourself in the head that you're able to shoot yourself twice? If you shoot yourself in the head, you're most likely going to die without the possibility of being able to shoot yourself again if the first shot was successful. The second hole in the wall, so the second gunshot, um, was at the back of the closet in a left upward trajectory angle, which honestly doesn't make a lot of sense to begin with because, like I said, how is it possible to shoot twice? The police were only really able to explain this second gunshot by saying that there had to be, or the gun had to be fired either while it was on the ground or almost on the floor very close to the wall. They were even saying that it had to have happened in a way where after Jessica shot herself once and she was falling down, she accidentally pulled the trigger, like just all these crazy theories were rolling around. And inside the closet that Jessica was found in was also her divorce diary that she usually kept hidden. But at this point when she was found, it was in plain sight in the closet. Weirdly enough though, there were a lot of pages that were missing from this diary. So did Matthew find the journal and get upset and rip out the pages? Or did Jessica rip out the pages for whatever reason? It is just something to think about, but we will get into that later on. Now let's talk about the crime scene again. So I told you about the gunshots in the wall and how the two gunshots is already something to raise eyebrows about. But another thing that caught my attention more than anything when looking at the pictures is that there is no blood spatter anywhere in the closet where Jessica supposedly shot herself in the head. The only blood found in that closet was on the pillow that Jessica was found laying on when she was found by the police. And just think about it. Like if someone is getting shot in the head, there is a little to no chance that there is going to be no blood spatter. To me, it is extremely questionable and very odd that there's absolutely no blood spatter, but it's going to become clear why there was no blood spatter in just a few minutes. So the sheriff Wendell Beam, who like I said earlier was Matthew's grandfather or is Matthew's grandfather, was called into this case along with the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, also known as the GBI. So the sheriff, who is also Matthew's grandfather, told deputies to deliver the news to Jessica's family that she had died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But here is the problem with that. Jessica is not dead. Jessica was never dead. Jessica was never declared dead. So why in the hell would the sheriff, knowing that she's being carried off to some trauma center, knowing that she's not dead, tell deputies that her family needs to be informed that she committed suicide and is now dead. Like, why would you ever think that that is a good idea? And no one was really able to figure out why he did that or why he thought that was a good idea. And here is where this case gets turned completely upside down. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
All right, you guys, welcome back. So when Jessica was taken into surgery at the hospital, the doctor who was going to do surgery on her discovers that Jessica has no gunshot wounds. Jessica was not shot in her head. There is no bolt. There is no entry wound. There is no exit wound. Jessica was never shot. Her injuries, according to the doctor, were much more consistent with one of a blunt force trauma to the head. The doctor also says that there is no gunshot residue on her hands. So now, as you can imagine, this takes the case into a completely different direction. Jessica didn't shoot herself, okay? Jessica did not shoot herself. No one shot Jessica, or at least successfully shot Jessica, because there is no gunshot wound on her anywhere. So where did the bullet holes in the wall come from? You know, like, why is that even a thing? And how did Jessica end up unconscious? Jessica was recovering from a head wound that resulted in a traumatic brain injury and was in a coma for about three weeks, a medically induced coma for about three weeks. And you might be wondering what the true motive of all of this is. Like, why did this even happen? Why was this a thing? You are probably very confused, and I was too. But According to Jessica's neighbor, swinging the background to the neighbor again, she said that Jessica caught Matthew having an affair with another woman. And Jessica apparently thought that Matthew was cheating on her and did some research and did some digging and found Matthew's Facebook messages. And when doing this, she found messages with another woman. And these messages were apparently very explicit. And Jessica's neighbor was with her when she actually found these messages. The two of them went through it together. And do you want to know who he was having an affair with? <laughs> Matthew was having an affair with a 911 dispatcher who worked at the Griffin Police Department. And according to the neighbor, Jessica was actually fairly happy when she saw these messages. In Jessica's mind, this was exactly what she needed to get a divorce from him. And like I said, because the divorce diary was found in the same closet that Jessica was found in, people think that Matthew found the diary and got so angry that he just like snapped and ended up hitting Jessica over the head with his gun. But what about the text messages that Jessica reportedly sent to Matthew that night about the suicidal thought she was having? Most people believe that that probably came from Matthew too, and it was just some cover-up, which is pretty convincing, I would say. Now, when this whole incident happened, Matthew was only questioned once. And in this questioning, he was asked how long the two of them had been together, which Matthew said they had been together for a little over four years, and they were in the beginning stages of getting a divorce. He also admitted to having an affair for the past few weeks, and he then said that Jessica was also having an affair and Jessica told him that Tyler their youngest son wasn't Matthew's child and this is just a whole lot of he said she said bs in my opinion and I don't think that this affair on Jessica's part was ever actually confirmed or really looked into because I don't think it really matters in this case but I did want to throw that in there just so you guys have both sides of the story so after three weeks of being in a coma Jessica was awake and talking and according to Jessica the last thing she remembers from April 15th was being in the closet and then after that, she remembers waking up in the hospital. Jessica says that she never tried to commit suicide and she was not suicidal. She said that is absolute like BS, basically. She's, she would never try to kill herself. She was not suicidal and she did not try to commit suicide that night. Jessica's wound was on the top of her head. So it was not a gunshot, but she did have a wound on the top of her head, probably from the blunt force trauma that she suffered. And the police were trying to say that this gunshot wound was at the top of her head, which first of all, why would someone shoot themselves at the very top of their head? Like I said earlier, like it makes no sense to me. It seems very inconvenient. And like I said, there was no gunshot wound before. So she clearly didn't shoot herself and she had no gunshot residue on her hands. 
Jessica said that she doesn't remember what happened in the closet, but the only thing she does know is that she did not try to kill herself. According to Jessica, her theory in all of this is that she was hit over the head with something and Matthew was the one to do it. Jessica said she doesn't think Matthew intentionally tried to hurt her that badly, but it was in such of a rage and a heat of the moment that it just happened and he just snapped. So about those texts that were sent to Matthew when he reportedly went to Waffle House and whatnot, Jessica said that she never sent those texts to Matthew. She also said that she would never word a text in the way that it was written. She said that she would never also say I love you to him because she said at that point she actually hated Matthew, so there was no reason she would ever say I love you to him. And Jessica said there was no lock on her phone, so it wouldn't have been hard for Matthew to get into it if he really wanted to. According to Jessica, she thinks that Matthew found the divorce diary before the incident happened and that he read through the pages and realized that she was tracking his every move and planning on getting custody of both of their kids, which made him infuriated and why he snapped. Jessica is also convinced that if Matthew was a regular person and not a police officer, that he would be in prison. But because he had the whole support of the police officers, like he had a huge support system on that end, the whole incident was covered up. And I will say when doing more research on the Griffin Police Department, I did find that they were like notoriously known for having each other's backs, even in like really bad situations situations that they would find themselves in and I know that that's true in a lot of police officer or like police stations in general a lot of police officers are known to cover up each other's tracks and not all I'm not saying all I'm not generalizing here but I am just saying that it is not uncommon so in the Georgia Bureau of Investigations final report which was dated on September 8th 2016 which was months after this incident and also months after Jessica woke up from her coma the final report stated that the Georgia Bureau of Investigations had completed the investigation and found that the death was a cause of a suicide. Let me repeat that. The death was caused by suicide. Jessica is not dead. The report literally declared her dead, which is crazy because Jessica is alive. And Jessica really believes that this was not a mistake and was another attempt for the police to cover their bases. She says that this whole thing was a mix of being very sloppy and also wanting to cover each other's tracks, which I, looking back and doing all this research, I completely agree on. Then there was a guy named Will Sanders, who was actually a truck driver. Like his actual job is a truck driver, but he just has this really big passion for investigating true crime cases and kind of solving the ones that go cold and the ones that don't really make a lot of sense and he had a huge infatuation about this case and definitely looked into it a lot harder than the police did let me tell you that much and when will looked into all of the reports on this case he said it was clear to him that matthew's accounts of the events were completely just like discombobulated and all over the place will was able to get a hold of matthew's phone records and was able to discover that during the time that matthew was making the calls to 911 he was also texting with the woman he was having an affair with and he was texting this woman literally in the seconds after the 911 call he made. Do you want to know what the text said? <laughs> the text literally said, give me a few to text back. Long story. I'll tell you later. I'm sorry. That's like the type of text that you send someone in literally the most nonchalant setting, because like what type of text message is that? Like considering the situation, considering the circumstance, it does not make sense. Between Matthew and his mistress, there were a total of 68 text messages sent between the two of them on the night of the incident. Also in the crime scene photos in the kitchen, Matthew's phone was on the countertop, which does not make a whole lot of sense because how, if Matthew never re-entered the apartment when hearing the gunshots, if he ran 
went in and ran out and never went back in, was the phone still inside? If he was still texting his mistress, does that make sense to you? And what is probably the biggest red flag in this whole thing is the time frame that this was all recorded in. The neighbors in Matthew's surrounding apartments in the complex all said that they heard a single gunshot go off at 11 o'clock p.m. To be specific, four different people in two other apartments said that they heard the gunshot go off at 11 o'clock p.m. So why did Matthew wait until 1 a.m. to call the police? No one knows what happened in between those two hours. There was even a retired LAPD officer who looked into Jessica's case and said that the way that the police are saying that Jessica shot herself on the top of her head, one, makes no sense, and two, is not proven to be possible considering she had no gunshot wounds, which we know. He said that a possible explanation for this, if he was to try to make up his own theory, is that Matthew and Jessica were fighting over the gun, and in that process of the fight, Jessica got hit over the head with the gun, and Matthew thought she was dead and staged this whole suicide attempt by putting the gun underneath her, maybe shooting holes into the walls. I'm not quite sure. He's a police officer. like He knows how to try to make this look good, and what I mean by making him look good is making him look innocent. So then fast forward to July 2017. So during the time that Jessica was in a coma fighting for her life during those three weeks right after the incident, Matthew had moved all of his belongings out of their apartment and moved Jessica's out of the apartment as well. And when Jessica tried to get her things back after she woke up from her coma, Matthew said he didn't have them. Well, apparently right before the incident occurred in April 2016, Jessica had packed a bag of her things because she planned to leave Matthew and take her sons with her. The bag included her underwear, some bras and a dental retainer and when the griffin police asked him about this he said that he did not have the bag he said it was not in his possession he didn't know where it was and he didn't have it so interestingly enough though matthew's girlfriend at the time so the girlfriend that he got after jessica got in contact with will sanders the truck driver and told him that she found the bag of jessica's belongings in matthew's storage bin will sanders then purchased the gym bag from the girlfriend and turned it into the police department so when the police officers had the bag now they really had no choice but to question Matthew again because obviously he was lying. He did have the bag in his possession and Matthew confessed to lying to the police in a signed statement that he made claiming to not have any of Jessica's belongings. So essentially he confessed to lying to the police when asked about the bag. But here's the thing. So this didn't really go to trial until July of 2018 and Matthew was actually cleared on all charges of making a false statement and a violation to oath. So he was completely cleared on the charges made against him. And just to be clear again, these charges weren't that he didn't have anything to do with what happened to Jessica as far as her injury goes, but this was just about lying to the police about having her belongings. And because of Will Sanders putting in his time and effort to find justice for Jessica, the Griffin Police Department quickly found their new target. The police quickly came after Will Sanders and got four search warrants, four search warrants for seven months worth of private Facebook messages between Will Sanders and saying that he had two unrelated commercial burglaries. That's why they were able to get the warrant is because they said he had two unrelated commercial burglaries. And if you haven't guessed it yet, that is a huge lie because there's no cases on file that say Will Sanders was ever involved in any burglaries. And this was definitely just a way for police to get a couple steps ahead of Will Sanders because they knew that he either wasn't going to stop or he had information that they didn't want him having. Will even went and asked for the case files on these supposed burglaries because he knew that this was not true. And of course, he was told that these case files were missing. How ironic. 
So what is Matthew's punishment, you might ask? So Matthew is unable to serve at the Griffin County Police Department, but he still is a certified police officer who can serve anywhere in Georgia other than the Griffin County Police Department. I'm pretty sure he has custody of his kids, at least partial custody, and he has never, ever, ever been charged with any sort of connection in what happened to Jessica. Jessica has been doing interviews and has been trying to get her story out there to try and get justice because she doesn't remember. She does not remember exactly what happened to her. And she... I can't even imagine the frustration of that, like knowing that you didn't kill yourself, you're not suicidal, yet your case report basically says that you're dead and that you did commit suicide and now you're alive and the whole thing is crazy and your husband is super shady on every single aspect of everything and it is just absolute like craziness, I think. Like it's inexplainable and I just can't even imagine her frustration, which is why I really wanted to cover this case because I feel like police cover-ups, like I said, not to generalize, but they are a lot more common than we think. And this is just a very clear example of it. I do not think in any way, shape or form, well, it's very clear that Jessica didn't commit suicide. There was no gunshot. So why the hell are there gunshots in the walls? Why is Jessica having a blunt force trauma to her head? Who did that? How come no one has ever been charged for that? Like how come that has never been settled? Why in the hell does the case report say that Jessica committed suicide? I want to know what you guys think about this. Clearly, there is more to it than what the police officers are trying to push under the rug. But what do you find most frustrating about this case? What do you think really happened? What is information that I maybe missed out on that you want to add to this? Definitely let me know by DMing me on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Savannah Brimer. I love talking to you guys about the cases that I cover and hearing your guys' opinions. So definitely let me know what you think. All right, you guys, that is going to be it for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. I post weekly episodes on here every Wednesday, so make sure you are updated. That's going to be it for me today, you guys, so I will hopefully see you next week and stay safe.